When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. Welcome to the Project Upland Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting. We plan to take you into some of our favorite bird covers as we talk to the people that hunt them and the organizations that support them. We'll also break down the dogs, guns, and gear used to pursue them, and of course, we'll share the stories that celebrate this American tradition. It's one of those things that you do that, that feels timeless. My dad brought home our first Brittany when I was about 10 years old. The Red Gods are calling, and I must go. These are your stories. This is the Project Upland Podcast, presented by Onyx Hunt. On this episode of the show, we're talking taxidermy, bird dogs, and bird hunting with Michael Pepe of Jonas Brothers Taxidermy. Welcome back to the show for episode number 111. podcast is presented by onyx hunt creators of the most comprehensive digital mapping system for hunters use the promo code pup20 to save 20 percent on your onyx hunt subscription i was cruising around near my cabin in wisconsin yesterday doing a little scouting dropping some pins in onyx saw some grouse found some good looking cover now i can be sure i will know right where those places are when hunting season rolls around, which all of you know is right around the corner. Know where you stand this fall with Onyx. 
and by Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food. Out in the field, how you prepare determines how you'll perform. With balanced fat and protein to support peak condition in your bird dog, Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food enhances strength, energy, and endurance, so when that tailgate finally drops, you and your dogs are ready for anything. Strong, focused, ready for anything, that is a Yukonuba dog. And by CZ USA Shotguns, shotguns designed with the Upland Hunter in mind, and speaking of that, we are now in the final round of voting for the CZUSA Project Upland Shotgun Design Survey. Head over to projectupland.com, look for the article, vote on the few remaining features. We need some tiebreaker votes here on some features that were a little bit too close to call. And we will then be at our final versions of the CZUSA Project Upland side-by-side and over-and-under two shotguns that will debut in 2021. For more information on CZUSA, head over to cz-usa.com. And finally, by Dakota 283 Kennels. Kennels built to last a lifetime, unparalleled pet protection, one-piece rotomole design, frame steel door, everything you and your dog need in a kennel for a safe and successful hunting trip. Head over to dakota283.com and use the promo code PU10 to save 10% on your next kennel purchase from Dakota 283. All right, this week's winner of the podcast giveaway is Todd M. from Wisconsin. Todd left us a review in the iTunes podcast app. Thank you, Todd. Project Up on T-shirt or one of the couple remaining codes for the Woodcock Shooting audiobook headed Todd's way very soon. Anybody listening could be next week's winner of the podcast giveaway. All you've got to do is make a meaningful contribution to the show. You can leave us a rating, leave us a review in the podcast app like Todd did, subscribe to the podcast, share the podcast, send us some feedback or a guest suggestion. I've been hearing from a bunch of my listeners lately. Everybody's getting geared up for fall. I love it. You can email me directly at nick.larson at northwoodscollective.com. All right, don't forget, through the month of August, Rough Grouse Society, American Woodcock Society Membership Drive. they got some great promos over there. Free swag with your membership purchase. you got a chance at some giveaways, which include Project Upland Magazine and a bunch of other stuff from all their corporate partners. That member drive is loaded up with stuff. You're out there chasing wild birds. Don't forget to support the organizations that amplify your voice and speak for those birds at a higher level. It's a very small price to pay to help provide a better future for the birds that we all love to chase. Head over to ruft.org for more information. All right, let's jump into today's interview. This is an interview that I've been wanting to pull together for a while to get a taxidermist on the Project Upland podcast. And my guest today, Michael Pepe, just so happened to reach out, told me a little bit about himself, said he is a Upland bird hunter, also a taxidermist. They've got a family-run business with history that spans way way back some incredible work they've done that we talk about on today's episode and michael said the project upland podcast is often played in their shop while the crew is working away on the beautiful fine work that they do so we talk a little bit about taxidermy on birds of course what to do in the field how to care for your birds if you plan to have taxidermy work done we also dive into michael's up and hunting story his bird dogs training hunting you name it we cover it I'll let Michael tell you the rest. With that said, let's welcome into the conversation and onto the Project Upland podcast from Jonas Brothers Taxidermy Studios in New York, Michael Pepe. All right, Michael Pepe, thanks for joining me on the Project Upland podcast. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing great, man. I look forward to being here. Yeah, how was your weekend? I heard a rumor that you might have been running bird dogs over the weekend. Oh yeah, running bird dogs with uh, Styles Bridges, uh, lightning uh, flash setters uh, up in Canton, New York. 
I kind of grew up uh, through college with him. I was at his house more than campus, and uh, we were up there training some English setters all weekend. It was great. We chatted last week, and you mentioned the name Styles Bridges, and I don't know anything about him other than I knew that name. I mean, the name stuck with me, and it's kind of a unique name, but I know I've heard it before. Is he? Tell me a little bit about him. Is he like essentially famous for his dogs? I mean, has he has he written books, articles? Like, what's what's his deal? Because his name kind of precedes him. Yeah, he's a bird dog trainer. Uh, he's got a big booming personality, that's for sure. And uh, <laughs> every time you go up there and train with him, just more and more people end up showing up at the kennel and yeah. hanging out all day and training in the morning. We started at uh, five thirty the other day. It was nice and cool, and we were there. People there all day, just hanging out, talking bird dogs, drinking beer, and cool <laughs> shooting the stuff. But uh, I think in seventies, eighties, he was uh, amateur bird dog trainer. Uh, running the trial circuit so um lightning flash birdie he was a uh, runner-up in the grand nationals and he's trained a bunch of uh national bird dog trainer uh champions okay. and uh when i was in college and he still did it uh he was training a lot of uh, the field trial dogs for pete flanagan and uh grassridge setters okay okay yeah, so, yeah. Uh, that's probably where a lot of guys uh hear about him but sure. uh, upstate we used to get a lot of his uh field trial guys and crank them get them ready for the show circuit and then yep. they would come and get them and there you go <laughs> right on well we're definitely getting a little bit ahead of ourselves we're going to talk some bird dogs today but i want to yeah. hear a little bit more about you michael and i'm i'm looking unfortunately the listeners can't see this but i'm looking at some uh some serious taxidermy behind you there yeah. and that's uh that's one of the inspirations for having you on today to talk a little bit about taxidermy and and the business and you had actually reached out and said that the Project Upland gets uh, Project Upland podcast gets played while you're working on on mounts every once in a while in the shop. Yeah, all the time. So uh, <laughs> we work at uh, family business uh, is Jonas Brothers Studios here in New York. Uh, we're one of the oldest taxidermy studios in the country. Uh, my father is the third owner. The founder was Louis Paul Jonas and a couple of his brothers. Uh, I'm hanging out right now and guess my man cave and i got a whole bunch of taxidermy and bird stuff and fly tying kits and all kinds of stuff up here but uh so that's what i work uh i'm still training bird dogs and and guiding a little bit but during the week uh we're in the studio uh doing big game mounts and bird bird mounts and fish mounts and all kinds of accoutrements and different things like that third generation taxidermy business was there ever a doubt what you were gonna do with your spare time mike you know it's funny uh growing up in it my parent my dad's been doing it way before i was born so it's kind of like we were talking earlier what do you do with uh, when you're a little kid you want to hang out with pops so back in the day uh i'd be a little kid following him around and he'd throw me up on different tables and not really knowing what i'm doing he'd have me working on different things and always seemed to come back around to it uh during college or high school i'd be playing sports or training dogs and my off time what i would be doing was i'd go back and help out in the shop and always seem to be doing it. So I kind of gravitated toward the outdoor world the whole time. And, and now it's him and I in the shop and, uh, and our crew of guys uh, trying to crank out all museum quality, hundred percent anatomically correct mounts. And uh, we pride ourselves on doing unique things and odd things and not just your run of the mill production shop. Everything is sure. takes some time and, and it, uh, it's done right. So that's kind of our niche in the field taxidermy school for you then yeah taxidermy school all right 
uh, Michael, we're going to skin this today and we're going to work <laughs> on that today. And, uh, here you go. Hands on training then. Yeah. He's, uh, he kind of keeps to himself, but he's known through the taxidermy world kind of as one of the old school gurus. And, uh, I feel like I'm learning from one of the experts, but you know how you always look at your pop and kind of go, yeah, yeah, dad, I, I'll get it. And I as I've matured well. myself, right? <laughs> yeah. As I yeah. matured a little bit, I went, yeah, I, I should really have paid attention a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sure my dad would probably echo that sentiment. <laughs> yeah, probably all dads, right? Yeah. 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 yeah soon to be you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I have a little what? guy come in the, in the middle of grouse season. So. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Well, that's uh that's an extra bonus then uh, during a yeah. great time of year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, congrats on that, by the way. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned unique stuff and we will, I'm going to circle back to taxidermy too, because I want to get some practical questions for you there, but yeah. anything, anything unique come to mind? Like as far as up, the upland bird space goes, things you've done or things you try experiment with? Uh, you know, we've probably done all the main birds, uh, North America, uh, from waterfowl, upland, uh, woodcock are probably the hardest bird to mount and really we do a fair amount of those. But, um, a lot of it is on positioning and different things like that. It's not just your standard standing mount and flying mount. We do those a lot, but um, we like to change it up with habitat or connecting different birds and making different unique scenes. And it kind of adds motion and life to the piece. But then that, you know, it's a great display piece. People put in their libraries, the trophy rooms, the living rooms. And you look at it and you go, wow, yeah, that, that looks like I'm in the woods. That looks like it's flushing out of the wall. Look at those two birds flying together or different things like that uh, yep. adds life to it. And, and that's why you do it. You want to look at that mount, no matter what it is, big game, fish, birds, and go, yeah, I remember my dog went on point in that thicket and that bird flushed out just like that, looked at me and reloaded and got him as he was flying away or, or whatever it is. But that's why, that's why you enjoy taxidermy. It's, a, uh, it's reliving your memories uh, for years to come. So we try to make that special. You don't want to have a piece in your house that you're, you're never quite happy with because you'll look at that memory a little bit differently. Yeah. It's, it seems obvious, but maybe, you know, it's maybe often overlooked, but to be a great taxidermist, you obviously have to spend some time observing animals and seeing them in the, in the field, in the wild. I know you get outdoors and do stuff because we talked about that. What do you do when it comes to maybe an animal that you don't have a lot of time with? Like there's something oh, yeah. that you haven't hunted. I mean, do you go watch videos? I mean, how do you educate yourself in, in a situation like that? Oh, yeah, videos. You know, you can find anything online now, right? So you can mm -hmm. go and Google different animals. And, uh, you know, anatomy is anatomy. Every animal has it. And uh, once you study that and you start looking online uh, for reference photos and different things you can put it together the proper way it might take you a little bit longer uh, to make sure everything is right but uh, you can find everything uh, from different photos and, and different things like that uh, we have a great network of friends and clients and outfitters in, in uh, throughout the world and a lot of times hey, you know hey send me a couple photos or you know what does this look like uh, here or there and uh, that always helps out when we go on trips, you know, half the time, uh, you know, you're not just hunting with a rifle or a shotgun. You're, you have your camera and you're taking pictures of dirt and leaves and habitat and animal anatomy. And 
it all comes together as you keep studying it. A lot of times people might think you're a little weird. You're sitting there focusing on a piece of lichen or <laughs> berries, you know, or drumming log, but uh, it, it all comes around in the long run. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, really just like a, a good photographer is capturing not just the bird, they're capturing some of the surroundings and they're doing it in a unique way. So it would make sense that you kind of have that same eye for detail, obviously, and you're probably not going to capture an entire background. I mean, you could with the taxidermy, but what are those key elements that you can bring through that like gives it way more, it gives the piece a, a bigger impact? Oh man, I mean, uh, for birds, you know, a lot of it, is feather tracks and hairlines, you know, for big game and, and making sure, I keep saying it and repeating it, but uh, a lot of people overlook the basic anatomy of something. So yeah. you look at it to make sure that's perfect, but um, you want to look at the whole scene. So if you're looking at habitat, you know, if certain berries are making sure that the right habitat, trees or dirt color or lichen or moss, that it's all accurate to what you're doing. So kind of take your time and you pick through it that's cool so i was telling you the other day that i don't have any taxidermy done i've got some fans and stuff and actually again the listeners won't be able to see this but i'll reach behind me and this is the grouse fan that i yeah there you go bird i shot last year and have it that came out out. yeah it's (laughs) pinned out fanned out nicely it's got it's a little uh this is actually a it's a business card holder slash like paperweight but but it holds (laughs) a fan got that from the rough grouse society but yeah, I wish I would have mounted that bird probably, but you know, hopefully there'll be, hopefully there'll be another one. I always kind of have, I want to have a grouse on my wall, probably the standard like grouse flying mount, yeah. but what would you do to spice that up? What else should I put in there, Mike? Oh man. Uh, it's for a wall or something like that. Or are you going to yeah, put it on I a table? I think on the, I think on the wall. Yeah. I mean, you know, birch trees and different yeah. limbs or kind of tell us what kind of habitat you're in now. What sure. kind of cover, if it was pines or different types of hardwood, you know, that kind of will spice it up. But uh, yep. change the way he's flying, you know, make him look like he's flushing out of the woods or sure. kind of peering out. Uh, give it some life and some motion to it. Make it look a little a little nicer. Kind of tacking you on your desk or something. Yeah. So in my extremely we – won't, we won't dive too deep into this, but my extremely limited – knowledge of taxidermy i know you can buy like you can buy like skeletons right that you would stretch the skin over but i'm assuming there must be a way for like a craftsman to you can just do it from scratch and like you don't use a mold or something how does that work so a lot of times you know everything's a different size so right either it's a mold that we have um, we have a lot of them ourselves okay and uh, you can buy them and then it's chopping it up altering it adding subtracting um the basic body and and everything birds are big game and then for birds you know you're altering it with wires and foam to that's what gives you your position so okay. it's uh birds are a little bit more free forming um you know you change it around with the wing position and heads and then uh with big game you're constantly chopping things up and uh altering it that way so there's nothing standard really uh yeah you're always yeah. altering it because it's just like a human I'm bigger than you or you're bigger than somebody else. So you're always kind of changing the way things look and fit. That's the key thing. Make sure it fits your piece, not just making your, your piece fit the mannequin. Uh, You always do it the opposite way around. So you might shoot something that's a grouse that is super unique and it's really big or really small and you don't want to drop it off somewhere. And then all of a sudden get, you know, your standard size back. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. 
So since we're kind of on this topic of taxidermy, I'll ask you the question that this is really what I'd, I'd wanted to have a taxidermist on this podcast for quite some time, mainly to cover some of the basics for upland hunter like myself yeah. uh, when that time comes, when that day comes. And when I, when I shot this bird, I knew it was in really good shape. It was, it was kind of in miraculously good shape. My, my dog pointed it and it flushed and both my buddy and I shot it. I killed it. His dog retrieved it. And Stella is a, she's a, she's a great retriever, soft mouth. She did not damage the bird at all. So, I mean, this thing yeah, was pristine. Perfect. It had a broken wing. Um, and I had a feeling that that would, that would not really be an issue, but just kind of moving from that, like, what are the, what is the field care one one when you, you've got a bird down that, and we're talking upland birds here specifically, yeah. you think you want to mount it. What are the things to look for that might be a immediate red flag? And then if, if it's looks like it's a candidate, what do we do with it? So the biggest thing is to take a look, um, for your standard upland birds, grouse and pheasants and things. When you shoot it, you just take a look at it. Make sure all your hair, uh, your feathers are still intact. You're not blowing out a tail feather. Or you're destroying a wing. You know, broken wings and legs and things. It's gonna happen. You gotta shoot your bird, but yeah. um, just make sure it's not over the top, blown up. Let's say, but uh, all those standard breaks and things. You're really just looking to make sure that all your feathers are still there. If they're all still there, and if you're in the long haul and you're in the back, I would t- take his head. And tuck it underneath his wing, kind of protect his face a little bit, and tuck it in a section of your vest that you're not going to get everything else thrown into. You know, your water bottle is not going to be rubbing on it and damaging and breaking feathers. You know, take it in a spot, you know, move your shells to one side and tuck that bird kind of in there and let it not get too harmed. And then uh, once you get back to your truck, easiest thing, there's a couple, you know, some guys say, you know, you can tuck them in. You know, like stockings, but uh, you could put that. The biggest thing is you always want your feathers laying flat. Uh, you don't want it to have, you know, all of a sudden your tail feathers are bent, crooked, and then they might stay that way or they're going to break. If they're broken, it's you really it's very hard to correct the tail feathers or another a broken feather. So you just want everything to lay nice and smooth, and then put it in a Ziploc bag. I always carry, uh, I have a cooler and then those two gallon freezer bags okay. you can fit most birds in there. Uh, so you just slide it in there nice and, and tight, get the air out, label it up, with your, your info and the date and freeze it solid as soon as you can, uh, get it in the freezer, freeze it solid, uh, and you're ready to ship. One of the hardest birds to mount and is the hardest to get a great specimen is woodcock. They're, Skin is super thin. You need that. They're tiny. You're in the woods. If you shoot one and, you know, unfortunately everybody likes hunting with their dogs, but if a dog picks up and gets saliva on it, even the softest mouth, they're kind of toast. But yeah. uh, if you get that one that's not too shot up and, uh, you know, even if your dog picked up, it's not beat up at all. And that's your prize bird. And you're close to the truck. I would bring it right back to the truck you can't really leave them in your rest you almost have to you have to dedicate your time go put it back and stash it in there and put it on you know some ice or whatever in a cool spot and then go back out and hunt but uh they're a tough one a lot of times you know guys will come in with two three birds and you start looking at them and there's feathers popping out all over the place so that's that's a tough one but uh if you get one man they're cool looking (laughs) yeah they are that's uh yeah they definitely 
the dogs pick those up and you see feathers in the mouth and that sort of thing. Oh yeah. They're, it's, they can be tough. Yeah. If you could, if you could beat your dog to that one, that'd probably be a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's one of those that it's unfortunate, but they're, they're tough and you don't do a ton of them just because of that. And, uh, sure. We're one of those studios that, you know, you know might drop them off and we might go, you know, this is kind of beat up. We're not just going to mount it and you're going to have a big bald spot on its saddle. Right. You know, we'd rather tell you, Hey, let's let's keep looking you know keep getting out there and you get to hunt more (laughs) get an excuse to go hunting again yeah 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 yeah. tell your wife i gotta go hunt this weekend michael said that that woodcock's no good (laughs) i might use that one michael yeah there you go yeah yeah so if you see a big pile of feathers on the ground maybe think twice uh that's that's not going to be ideal but if if all the feathers look to be intact i had heard the trick and really that's something you could keep in your vest like an old like uh like nylon sock really exactly, and yeah. you can put that in there you just need to be mindful of like kind of going with the feathers and make sure you pull it on to keep the feathers down and in place as best you possibly can yeah yeah they almost slide right in especially right. you know grouse and things like that. pheasant's gonna blow it up a little bit if sure. you tuck their head so all their their neck feathers uh will lay back onto their saddle you, they'll basically you hold them upside down they'll slide right in there sure uh, and you're good to go you can kind of go down a rabbit hole uh, early season stuff if you're hunting sage grouse or different things out west they'll have blood quills which are pin feathers when you look at the saddle usually that's the easiest spot to find them or up on their neck you'll actually see a blood quill and a lot of times when you skin those out the feathers will fall out so if you have the choice it's hard on those early season birds you kind of stash them and just take a look but um, late season birds if you have the choice you can always look but yeah. When, you're, when you're hunting grouse in November, December, and later, they're usually perfect. Yeah, they're primes. Right. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah, pretty logical, practical stuff there. Yeah, Obviously, nothing too crazy. Yeah, looking for a bird that's in good shape, take good care of it, see if you can get it protected, and then get it cold and frozen as fast as you can. You got it. Yeah. What's the process? How do you go about, sh- how do I go about then getting that bird to you? Yeah, so the easiest way is once it's frozen, um, a lot of times guys will give us a call or shoot us an email and say, you know, I had this bird, I shot it last week, it's been in the freezer, it's frozen solid. The best thing to do is ship it on a Monday or Tuesday and overnight it in the fall or, or two-day it and let us know with a tracking number, and that's really it. Biggest thing is have your bird labeled and uh, all your contact info in the box and, and ship it over, and we'll get it. Usually they'll be still frozen or just getting thawed out so we can take a look at them and and you're good to go it's a rather simple process actually yeah do you need to put it in like a foam box or anything or any other you can you know you can go to walmart or any of those places and just get you know those small styrofoam coolers but if you're two day in it and you you have your bird frozen solid you could put it in a shoe box with some you know Put in a, an extra garbage bag, you know, in case mm-hmm. whatever happens if they so lose it. So it's not it, leaking. Which, yeah. yeah, it doesn't happen often, but you know how things are with shipping. But just stuff it with a little bit of insulation and, and ship it over. And usually within two days, you know, you're fine. It's going to be good. Yeah, you're all right. So I don't need to go out and buy a new Yeti cooler just to send it to you. I mean, you can send me a Yeti. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be fine by me. Consider that your tip. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you can usually, you know, everybody goes to these banquets and you can, a lot of times they'll give out those soft-sided coolers or yeah, something yep. like that. That A lot of people will ship those because everybody has good supply of them. You know, yep. you can throw 
especially of multiple birds at the end of the season, let's say you went and you shot your grouse and pheasants and you, you shot a couple ducks or something, you throw them in those soft sided coolers in a uh, cardboard box and you ship it over. That makes sense. The Monday or Tuesday thing, that just to make sure it gets the, right at the start of the week and make sure it gets there. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know how, especially now, let's say this right. fall with kind of with COVID and you know how everybody's ordering stuff and, and nothing's yep. showing up on time. So you always want to have guaranteed delivery at the beginning of the week in case something goes awry. You don't want them being, oh, it was Saturday or Sunday and mm-hmm. we just didn't want to go deliver. If they're a day or so late, you still have the rest of the week. Have you guys had any issues with that so far through this whole thing? No, not really. I mean, okay. there's no bird season at yeah, the moment, true, so suppose, it worked yeah. out all right. You know, turkey yeah. guys were all right. We had a couple yeah. get shipped in and uh, a bunch of guys dropping them off, uh, and then that's not too not too bad. So yeah, uh, freight and crates from international stuff is slow, but that doesn't pertain to any of the bird world, so it works out all right. Sure. Yeah, that's good to hear. One other thing that, I mean, despite the three-generation history you guys have, there's some history to the store, to the business. You've done some done some work for some kind of famous clients and, and some unique things. That you, yeah, I'm, do you have stuff in museums as well? Yeah, we're, we're lucky that we've got to work with a lot of the uh, past and present generations kind of like forefront of the industry uh, between the Roosevelt's, uh, Ernest Hemingway, uh, it's pretty cool if the guys are ever down in Key West and you want to go check out his house. There's still mounts done by our company in his writing room. Wow. Um, there's a lot of big game guys, you know, that travel around and collect species and different award winners. Uh, we're lucky to work with uh, 10 past and present Weatherby winners. It's kind of a big deal in the big game world. But uh, from Eastman House for different museums and uh, Museum of Natural History, and, uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not. Oh yeah, just to Excellent. name a few, uh, but we ship all over the world. Uh, different museums in Europe, we've done work for and clients, and so it's, it's pretty cool. We're pretty lucky to to do work to work for some cool some cool people. Yeah, that is that's unique. Obviously, it's you know names that people know, but that's that's kind of like being at the top of your game, getting to do work for places like that, places and people like that. Yeah, yeah, we take a lot of pride in it. Yeah. Excellent. Well, if it's good enough for Hemingway, I might have to send you a bird. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's my favorite, yeah. Yeah, excellent. All right, man. Well, we've, we're talking taxidermy, and I definitely wanted to cover some of that stuff, but you're an upland hunter. You're a bird dog guy. We touched on that briefly at the start. Tell me a little bit about how you got into upland hunting. It's clear that you have spent a lifetime around the outdoor adventure and pursuits, but tell me how upland hunting came to be for you and how that became a part of your life and bird dogs, of course, along with it. Yeah. And it started with the bird dog. Uh, when I was seven, uh, my parents came home for my birthday and dropped, uh, an English Springer on my lap. Nice. And, uh, that was it. I remember before I was able to hunt, my dad uh, was a big upland hunter and uh, okay. taking me out into hunting pheasants here in New York. And uh, I remember flushing woodcock with her and never knowing what that, what it was before it was gone. And yeah, and that that's how it started, really. That was it. Once that dog got put on my lap, I, I was in. I was hooked. And uh, it really expanded for me probably in my college days. Uh, I went to St. Lawrence University. And that's where I met Styles. Uh, my dad bought a English setter, 
and was like, you know, it's you got to learn to train them, and we'll do it together. But you know, start doing your research and this and that. And uh, I read everything there was to find, you know. But it's easier to learn from somebody. And yep. uh, all the books say you need birds and pigeons to to train a bird dog the right way. And I made all kinds of phone calls and. I tracked down Styles, not knowing who he was. I was like, ah, can I buy some pigeons from you, sir? And he's like, I'm not selling you any pigeons, but if you want to show up here at 3 o'clock, you know, come on by. And I don't know. It's just, yeah, sure, I'll come by. No hesitation. <laughs> and yep, I'll just show yep. up this guy's house. And uh, I showed up, and I'll never forget it. He's a big guy, Styles, with this big mustache. And he's standing out in the yard uh, working on a tractor and a sleeveless shirt. And he goes, who are you? You know, yelling down at me here to work some bird dogs and we loaded up his ranger with a dozen setters and we went out and and he showed me the bird dog world and how to how to train an english setter and we worked up a deal he's like you can bring your dog here i know you're on campus and uh if you want to come by and work with me and see your dog work you know give me a call anytime you want and if not you know that's fine and i went all right thanks styles and i called him every day (laughs) <laughs> for for a month and he was finally like just show up here at this time and and that will be it and yeah. four years of i think i was at his house more than campus hanging out with his family and hunting with his son and learning bird dogs and everybody in the north country and new england seemed to show up at his house on weekends and 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 that was it from there i started guiding and hunting grouse and shooting a lot of ducks and that was that was the beginning, I guess, yeah. of the of yeah. the setter bird dog world. That's awesome. You, you know, it it's interesting. You found a guy like that, like Styles. There's a lot of people out there like him that are super knowledgeable. They have a ton of experience and they're willing to help. But you did have to make the call, right? You had to make the call yeah. and you had to go and show up at his house. That's not always the easiest thing to do for everybody. And like you said, I did the same thing. I read a lot of books before I got my first dog. And, you know, that's just kind of like, that's how I operate. That's how I think a lot of people in my generation do. We go and read and research and do all that stuff. But getting connected with the right people is the only way to kind of put all those pieces together and really give you the context behind all the stuff you read. So it, it takes both. And we're lucky that there are people like Styles. And I mean, the people that I've encountered over the last five, six years have helped me untold in untold ways you know like i I couldn't name them all it's been more than i could ever attribute to but they are out there but sometimes it does you gotta you gotta make that step and you gotta take that effort because otherwise you know their time's valuable and they they want to make sure that you want it right oh yeah for sure and for a whole you know the bird dog community i went from styles to learn to down by me during the off season and harass somebody that uh, local kennel teach me how to train flushing dogs they're willing to help you if you show yeah. an inkling um to learn and that you show a passion for bird dogs you know these guys want to help you they want to see you succeed and and have fun and enjoy yeah. it and they want to see dogs go to good homes and if you're willing to just show up and start working the farm and and train bird dogs or help out in any way you know everybody's appreciative and uh we're lucky about that I think it's the whole outdoor industry as a whole, uh, from bird dogs and upland to big game and fishing. It's a great community that we're we're lucky and blessed to be with. Yep. So without going too deep into this is 
Michael talking, but obviously mm. you learned you learned a lot from Styles. But I'm curious as to kind of in your journey, you've you've come to a certain point. How many setters do you have now? I have four setters and uh, one lab. Four setters and a lab. Okay. Yeah. So we'll talk we'll talk about both of those. But give me the high level sort of methodology you use to to train your setters. And well, first of all, what do you primarily hunt and do with your setters? So come back uh, right after college in there, I went out west and was hunting uh, pheasants in South Dakota um, for a high adventure company in Shine Ridge. So a lot of my dogs got on birds out there, uh, mostly pheasants and uh, some grouse. And then we were hunting ducks and geese uh, and pheasants in Nebraska. So mostly they've, they've shot a lot of pheasants over them, a lot of chuckers. Last few years, we've been getting into the grouse a little bit more, taking a little bit more time for myself to go do it. But okay. kind of a mixed field uh, for that, I guess. Yeah. Now, I know you hunt waterfowl because you mentioned that to me. Is the lab Does the lab get sprinkled in in the upland side of things too? Oh, yeah. Yep, he does okay. both. Um, okay. When I was guiding full-time uh, and he was a puppy, uh, we used to do that whole uh, dog go on point. And uh, my dog, my lab's name is Root, and I'd have him here and, to go flush and retrieve uh now i kind of run them separately a little bit uh okay as a flushing dog uh, but it, it's there as an option but he does both he, he's been in the grouse woods with me okay yeah. yeah have you ever have you ever tried the lab setter combo in the grouse woods no <laughs> okay okay <laughs> no not i'm yet. always curious how that works i mean it's not you know, it's not the, I know people do it. It's not the typical, you, a lot of times you either have a pointing dog or a flushing dog, but man, there's always those times where pointing dog is on point and I, you know where the bird is, but it's like, mm-hmm. gosh, it would be nice to be able to get a dog in there, get yeah. that thing up. Cause I've got my window here. I'm ready to shoot, but nope. Instead I've got to, I've got to march in there and maybe yeah. maybe watch this thing fly away you know yeah you can hear it fly away from you <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly yeah. no nope, i haven't tried that yet nope. okay yeah um all right so methodology in training your pointing dogs how do you go about it is it just pounding away getting them on as many wild birds as you can or do you do you now have a pigeon coop i mean what did you learn from styles yeah i have a pigeon coop okay um, and then lots of birds uh i'm still guiding so a lot of times there'll be quail or huns or truckers uh when they're young my dogs are getting older uh, a little bit so they kind of know the routine but uh, a lot of times things are working pitching birds i have a big dog training table getting them up uh eye level touching them all the time and uh getting the basics when they're puppies uh up on the table pitching we from learn from styles we started pitching a lot of birds you know getting them to teach themselves well a little bit and that there might be a second bird coming from behind them so always having them extra there and then uh for i mean for wild birds what do you do you just kind of have to go do it right yeah let them teach themselves uh with a little bit of yard work and some training in the off season you know just got to go hunt right yep so you mentioned pitching birds and getting the dogs up. So that's taking a young puppy, putting them up on a rail or a table, getting them up high, and then you're you're throwing pigeons while they're up there. Uh, yeah, sometimes you know, not even okay. as much uh, when they're puppy puppies. You know, you'll sometimes I'll pin the birds back, uh, wings back, throw them up on the table, and with yeah. a clip. I have a big table. A lot of guys will put them on small planks, but right, uh, right. My table, I think, is 14 foot by you know maybe 18 inches or so. Okay. Or two feet and. Uh, so they can walk back and forth. 
I've noticed that a lot of times for through correction, uh, you're always kind of touching, no matter what your breed is, you're stroking them up and getting to pay attention. And when they're at eye level, when they're little, always handling them. And yep. it helps in the long run when you're trying to fancy them up a little bit. Uh, so I'll, I'll put them on there with uh, kind of pigeon wings or pigeon tied up, you know, just to get them in front of them and smell it. And then uh, usually they're on the ground, you know, going on the string and running around and rocking birds or just letting them, holding them by the feet, getting them all excited, letting them go and letting them chase and getting some tail feathers in their mouth and yep. getting the love for it. Yeah. I have a nine week old pup here at home. And so I've been dealing with puppy stuff, but I've been, oh, yeah. I've been doing that a little bit more so than I did with my first dog. That's one of those things that I, I, you know, I see people put a dog up on a table or a rail and calmly gently stroke the dog style them up a little bit and you know it's it's a nine week old puppy but you're getting i'm getting her exposure to that sort of stuff and getting her at eye level like you say so i'm just curious to hear you say that and i know a lot of people do it obviously yeah i like it too because it gets them used to when you touch them you got to stay calm you know they're yeah. so jacked yeah. up when they're on point and you want to yes. smell that bird so much it's almost like a calming yep. sensation to them they're like all right everything's fine and yep. then uh, at the home level, you know, it's not just bird dogs. You're touching them, and it comes time to they have an injury, and you have to fix something or, God forbid, staple or, you know, you're calming to them. Or you have to trim Correct. nails or ears or yep. teeth. You know, you touch them, they relax. You can do whatever you want. You know, you see a lot of the hyper or other bird dogs that haven't done it, you know, and you touch them or something's wrong, and you have to corral them, you know. By doing it at such a young stage, it sets them up for ease you know as they get older yeah exposure to so many different things is so important i I have a feeling that probably gives it probably gives some bird dogs a bad rap you know they just weren't exposed to certain things early and then later on the dog's life he's he she's not used to that then Mm -hmm. but somebody just kind of resolves to say well he's you know he's a hyper high energy high strong dog that sort of thing well maybe the dog just wasn't exposed to those sorts of things early on yeah yeah exactly who knows yeah yeah yeah. every little bit helps (laughs) Right, right, exactly. So where are you guiding at the moment? Where do you still guide? So I live in Connecticut right on the New York border. So now uh, there's a couple farms here for release birds we still work with. There's a lot of gun clubs here touching distance to the city. I'm still there. And uh, I work with uh, Rick Watson a little bit. Uh, He's a grouse guy in uh, the Catskills. Uh, we go up there and a lot of times i go up there and hunt for myself but uh, <laughs> we, <laughs> well, that's good too I, I uh i hang out with him a lot and uh he's a good guy he's another setter guy and he's got okay. a couple styles dogs and we go up there a little bit and sometimes uh clients need you we'll go up there and hang out with them yeah so you're keep you're keeping your dogs busy on the gun clubs and the preserves closer to home where you can do it yeah yeah they're excited they've been around you know they when they were younger they were probably on a lot more uh wild birds uh yeah. Now they're getting back into it. They're, they're prime middle years, I guess. Uh, we were cranking here at the clubs, and now as they're getting a little older, I guess I'm maturing a little bit. Uh, we go, yeah, let's go, let's go hunt some other stuff and take some time, or go for a long weekend and hit Maine or something, and, and get them on some different birds. Yep. So you've been out west a little bit. You've been to South Dakota. Any other trip? Have you made long distance? Have you gone way west? Have you hunted chuckers, sharp tails, that sort of thing? Yeah, I I do like to collect. I'm a little bit of a collector. Okay. Um, I haven't made it so far west to hunt chuckers, but I have prairie chickens and 
pheasants and sharpies. Uh, I'm going next year uh, to Montana to hunt spruce and blue grouse over okay. some setters and uh, done Georgia. I was okay. in uh, Argentina hunting wild quail in Argentina. We actually sold a I sold a dog to an operation down there and got to travel with them. Brought oh, them down cool. there myself, and then I got to hang out for a little while and acclimate them and shoot some birds. Uh, those are wild scaled quail. Did you hunt Perdiz down there? No, we were in okay. down in Patagonia. Okay, and uh, these are all quail. Okay, yeah, okay. and uh, sometimes you find coveys of a hundred birds. It was unreal. Wow, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that is wild. Trips on the docket this fall? Grouse, just grouse and okay. local stuff. Not as much. A couple uh, waterfowl hunts in the books, but got uh, grouse this year and then uh, hitting the Montana next year. A lot next of times year. we'll go to Georgia to hunt quail in uh, the winter, kind of January, February, March. Okay. Do you have a favorite hunt that you've experienced so far something that you that's kind of like your go-to or are you thinking more about something that you haven't done yet that you want to do uh no no i don't know they all they're all good i, I like them all. all i just like being out uh <laughs> yeah i like watching the dogs on point i think that's why i like guiding so much it doesn't matter if someone else is shooting them i just like watching them be on point pigeon could be a pheasant grouse i just like that part I do like, like I said, I like collecting different things and seeing how different people hunt or if I take my dogs out, hunting different cover and locations. So they're all good. doesn't matter yeah. where we go <laughs> as long as you're out. Since you do some guiding, I'm curious when it comes to steadiness and your dogs because that's one of those things that always gets brought up. And then especially in a guiding setting, it's usually a lot of times people will – push for more steadiness just as far as safety goes so where are you at with that some of my dogs are steady to flush and then a couple of them i mean or to wing and shot they're all steady to the flush so let's yeah i think two two out of the four will will stand to the shot and the other two i just kind of they're steady to the flush and yeah they're not the other ones that aren't standing aren't crazy juiced up dogs they're kind of at a little bit mellower pace so they're all right and they they've been around it so much that they get the gist. They know what's going on. Yeah, gotcha. So the other thing you mentioned to me is that you might be in the process of building out like a super bird hunting rig. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> tell me about that. It started off with uh, thinking I was going to build a trailer and do all kinds of different things and traveling around so much from out west to throughout the east coast. It, you know, it's hard sometimes traveling with your dogs in a rig if it's a little bit warm or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so I kind of scrapped the idea of the trailer, and so I'm on my search for the the ultimate like bird van or truck or something like that that I can rig out. Uh, I kind of have all the specs sitting on my desk, like what I'm going to add to it and this and that, <laughs> but haven't found that special vehicle yet. But uh, it'll come, and uh, I'll probably jump on a lot. It's a hobby of mine as well with the bird hunting, is kind of tinkering with cars and different things. So, but sure. Uh, I'm shooting by next year. That'll I'll have something kind of rigged up. Uh, I keep all the dogs inside and have it AC'd and heated for when they need it. And yeah, all the you accumulate a lot of gear in this sport, so it's, you can use it as storage and have it and be ready to go. Yeah, those vans have become. I don't know if they have become popular. Or I've just started to see them more. Of course, it reminds me of uh, my buddy from Duluth and our former mm. guest on the podcast, Scott Scott and Watson uh bird van 
yeah. band guy. He might have yeah, yeah. trademarked that name, so you might have to come up with a new name. But yeah, I'll have to figure <laughs> something out. But I found it the idea from being online and searching yeah. for stuff, and you're like, that's it's smart too because they're all contained and you know where everything's happening. And, right, right. It does. It looks. I mean, as far as like having like a, a vehicle that is not as hamstrung as say like a truck and trailer obviously the truck you know you can put your camper down your trailer and then you mm-hmm. can drive your truck which is nice but the van is kind of it's a it's trying to hit on the best of both things i imagine there are some vans that are fairly off-road capable for a for an upland upland yeah. hunting scenario what like what kind of vehicle are you looking at like what's even out there because i've i haven't looked into those at all just different used cargo vans or older yeah. you know but Those are there like are, are there like real heavy duty ones that have like four wheel drive or all wheel uh, drive or anything? Not really. But they have okay. all wheel. You know, yeah. you're gonna have to jack up the suspension, sure. the tires on it, and real wheels. And you know, you probably should have a jack because everybody's been in the grouse woods and popped a tire and yeah, not use the little dinky one, right? So uh, right. Yeah, I think you, it's almost like you're gonna have to. My idea was you're gonna have to get one and then make it indestructible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> putting bumpers and racks and suspension and different things like that in it. It's just fun yeah. when you when you have an end goal, it's it's fun to do that kind of stuff. Yeah. Put a built-in freezer so I don't have to worry about my woodcock when I find the perfect one eventually. Just walk to the truck and throw it instantly in a freezer. Yeah, there I could definitely see the appeal as far as just having literally everything in one place. I mean, you could go, you could park it, you could go for a hunt sunset hunt come back to the truck you wouldn't even have to move you know you could probably in some cases you could probably just be right there yeah you dinner, could. pass out in the van you're good yeah yeah it all worked out well you can have a lot of those vans don't have any back seats you can rig it with a couple back seats and more space yeah. to put everything else and chargers for all your collars and ipads and whatever you need yeah. it helps to know everybody too you know you, you talk to a different bird guy they say you should really have this or different people in the industry or buddies with an electrician and this and that you just kind of everybody morphs together because everybody's hunting together so it works out nice what do people typically do for heating and air conditioning do you have a separate system other than just like the standard van system because you don't want it running i mean how do you do that yeah there's a system i'm blanking on the name i said it but uh you can hook up to a solar power almost to you know a battery pack okay you can okay. turn it on with the car off and then you're you're kind of good to go yeah. Keep your car cool and nobody's yeah. calling the SPCA on you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. That's yeah. good. Yeah, and they and the nice thing about the van, which we mentioned, is they may may not know yet even have dogs in there. You know, so it's because I know that a lot of times people see dog trailers, and I know that can garner some unwanted attention from just from talking to people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, where I live now is kind of in southern New York, and we travel north and west to hunt. And yeah. uh, you know, you're driving out west on a road trip or south you're going through normal areas you know you don't know who you're gonna compass you know on your trip that isn't keen on what you're doing with the dog trailer i mean even the ones that are all rigged up great with fans and and the dogs are super comfortable you know you're still you just never know who you're gonna run into so it's nice to have them contained and safe and cool or hot depending on the season and and uh you don't have to worry about them peace of mind you know peace of mind yeah you want your hunting buddies to be good with the van potentially in the works about a year out, is there is there a trip or a destination that you're thinking of that would be kind of like that's really the inspiration driving this, or is it just it's going to be your van? It's gonna it's gonna go with, with you on all your trips, obviously. But yeah, 
uh, I, you know, I would a dream trip. Of mine was to load up my dogs and and take my pops and maybe when the little guy's old enough and go to North Dakota and uh, okay. hunt huns and and all those yep. things because I haven't I haven't hunted them before. It'd be it'd be fun. It's always great to hunt over your own dogs, right? So yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that would be a, a special trip to go do that. Load everybody up, say goodbye for ten days, and head out there. I'll break it in in the grouse woods. If it can handle that, it can handle out west. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, that's there's definitely some some old logging roads and two tracks that probably will test the capabilities of said van. No, oh, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Do you primarily when you're going grouse hunting yourself, or is it primarily New York? Did you say? Do you do you get up to Maine? Uh, yep, I've made a couple trips to Maine okay. uh, and hunted, and then uh, a lot of times it's upstate New York. We have some college days uh, upstate, way upstate by St. Lawrence. I still know some covers up there, and my wife's family is from central New York, so her brother's a, a upland hunter as well, and okay. uh, we've hunted together, and he's got some spots. So then we have Rick, uh, my buddy, guiding in western New York, so I kind of have a big span throughout New York the, that I know that we can go chase depending on how long i want to be gone i guess yeah that's good it's good it's good to know people that's for sure yeah yeah what's it like hunting in maine i have i have not been out there i have some i have some visions of it in my head as kind of a similar to the untold resources we have here available to us in the great lakes but what's it like hunting in maine yeah it's kind of similar you know lots of logging roads lots of gravel you're looking at your map uh, when I was up there, I still was using paper maps, you know, so you're just flipping through and testing and checking out lumber ro- uh, logging roads. And it's, it's very similar. I feel there's a lot more where I was, the region I was, there was a lot of bogs and stuff for woodcock. Uh, and that worked out well. We found yeah. a bunch of woodcock. We went a little bit earlier kind of searching for them too. So it's a lot of low ones and we hunted a lot of that cover more than dense woods for the, for the grouse. So we were, middle of maine i think the further north you get i haven't gone up that way but i think it gets a little bit thicker sure yeah when you're targeting grouse up there what kind of stuff are you looking for what does the ideal cover look like or what where have you had success um trying to think here that was a few years ago we were hunting a lot of just kind of open stands there wasn't as much uh of uh pines or anything kind of okay we really didn't come across many grouse we really targeted the woodcock because it was i think it was second week of october and uh we had some young dogs and i took my wife with me and uh tromped her through the woods and we we were really kind of targeting like (laughs) targeting the uh the woodcock yeah cool so you mentioned your dogs are getting older is that mean i know you you're you've got a kid on the way so you've got got to get your priority straight here i know do you have a do you have a puppy deposit down anywhere or no styles and i went this weekend uh, we were working them on pigeons just to get the old guys out um one of my dogs she's in great shape and it doesn't show any signs of slowing down it's 10 okay and then uh, i have a few gonna be eight-year-olds so i don't know maybe next year (laughs) for next season we were talking yeah. about it. He's like, oh, he's having a litter coming up and going. One of these has your name on it. I said, I don't know. I don't know if I can have an eight week old and a and a newborn at the same time. But uh, maybe come the spring. Are all your setters from him? Uh, no, my first. I guess my dad's setter is what started it all. She just passed. Was wasn't from him. We got him from okay. a breeder in PA, and then uh, we bred her with one of Styles' dogs, and that's where my crew is. 
for the most part. Everybody else are either puppies kind of from her or uh, dogs from, from Styles. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you did send me a picture with the – I'll have to go back and look at it. But what, what kind of size are they? Are they 50-pound dogs? Or where are they at? I have one dog that is big. He's 55. And then okay. uh, they're the average. Uh, my small is 35 to low 40s. I don't even know if the other two yep. tip 45 pounds. Are they – Females, males, you got a mix? I have two and two. Okay. Two and two, and then my lab's uh, a male. Yeah. I kind of just picked it. never really picked by uh, sex. I kind of picked as uh, Styles and I used to say, and, and my dad kind of says the same thing. Pretty is as pretty does. You know, if, if the right one is there that you're looking at is a female and you really had your heart set on the male, but, you know, maybe that's the one for you. Uh, so I, I kind of went by that theory yeah. and i never really go into a litter going i really want this because you might that might not be the right one for you yeah that's that's kind of how i approached the the first time i got my dog i only had a choice between two and my wife and i did originally want a female but there wasn't enough so then we we knew we were going to choose from one or two males and my wife ended up i kind of wanted the other one my wife chose the dog <laughs> that we got so we always we always laugh about it and yeah and i mean she chose a great dog i'm sure the other one's fine too but yeah this time i had a choice between four different dogs so it was more they were all i was getting a female there was more dogs yeah but again i was like "Ah, i just don't want to get too i'm not going to get i went down to see him a week early and i didn't want to get too too attached to anyone because i knew that my wife and my two and a half year old son were probably going to have ideas of their own so i basically let my wife pick the one again and i knew which one she wanted and as soon as uh the breeder jerry brought brought the dog out i knew that's the one that was coming home with us so yeah that's that's what we got <laughs> yeah that, that works out good and you go to a good breeder uh you know exactly. they're all gonna be good it's just yep. you know something might have a little different character or show a little something that you might find that you'd like to yep. want a little bit more so yeah it's not something that most folks need to stress out about that's for sure no i don't think so if you find the if you find the right breeder, do the work up front. Yep. Yeah, they're all gonna they're all gonna be good, and that's just kind of that's a hard decision to make picking a puppy. Yeah. So on the lab, before we kind of wrap up here, is there is there a hunt that you're gonna go on an upland bird hunt that you're gonna go on that you're gonna say you've mentioned running them together t- at times, but is there a hunt where you're gonna say the lab's getting put down because because of this style of hunt or this bird? Uh, I don't know. He's pretty adept at everything. He he works real close in the grouse and, uh, you know, okay. if I put him on the field and he's killed, you know, I've killed wild pheasants and stuff over him, you know, he'll range out to you know, 25, 30 and, and stay there. Kind of, I'm lucky. He's a special dog that he'll adapt to where you are. So if I'm yep. going to go out West and hunt something and he'll bump that thick, you know, cattails or he'll run through a briar patch if, if you want him to, he's smart and he uses his nose and he figures it out. So, yeah. He kind of does everything, uh, and, he, and he retrieves geese and ducks and whatever. He's sleeping on the couch over here, just <laughs> kind of a shadow. Do your setters retrieve? Uh, two of them will, yes. Two of them will, okay. Yeah. All right. And then the other ones will just point dead. Have you ever been in a situation where you had to go back to the truck and get the lab? No, no, I haven't. That's uh, good. That's good. One of my setters, I think, might swim better than my lab. Uh, I've dropped <laughs> a couple birds in ponds and different things, or... Uh, river and one of my setters runs out right in the middle of a he'll run out in the ocean to pick up a bird he doesn't yeah. care yeah he swims great and and he likes to retrieve right to you so kind of plan it right have one of the two of them out <laughs> that's cool 
All right, man. Well, this was definitely fun. Let us know, let the listeners know where they can go to find out more information about your taxidermy business if they want to see the work you guys do or possibly get a hold of you. Yeah. Um, our website is jonasbrotherstaxidermy.com. Uh, and then we're on Facebook and Instagram at uh, Jonas Brothers Studios uh, New York. So that's both places to find us. And uh, we're going to work on some little how-to clips here coming up this fall to how to pick your bird and where to store it and how to identify pin feathers and a whole bunch of different stuff. Uh, so that will cool. be on all the media areas for you guys to find. Excellent. All right, man. Well, thanks again for reaching out. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it. And uh, I maybe someday you'll see a bird come from me in the mail. All right. Sounds good, man. <laughs> Thank you. We love listening to the podcast and uh, we'll always listen to it here in the shop and uh, convert some more deer hunters to be more bird hunters. <laughs> all right, man. Sounds good. I appreciate it. You have a great day. Yeah, thanks, man. You too. All right. See you, Michael. All right, that does it for this episode of the Project Up and Podcast. Thank you for listening, everybody. A quick reminder that the podcast is brought to you by Onyx Hunt, Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food, CZ USA, and Dakota 283 Kennels. Don't forget to leave us a rating, leave us a review, subscribe to the podcast, and share the podcast for your chance to win the Project Upland Podcast giveaway. And head over to projectupland.com for more of the Upland birds, dogs, guns, and gear that you love. Until we see you back here for the next episode of the Project Upland Podcast. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.